Today's show is sponsored by The Wandering Owl. TheWanderingOwl.com Imagine yourself under a starry sky, around the warm glow of the sacred fire, as your hosts, Saranth Odinson and Jim Two Snakes, talk about shamanism, animism, books, science, psychology, pop culture, and more. Welcome to a show inspired by those late-night conversations by real-life spiritual practitioners. Won't you come and join us around Grandfather Fire? Come to the forest. The green god calls. Come to the mound. Come to the grave. Come to the field. Come to the garden. Come and know Frey. Come to the shining sky. Come to the golden rains of dawn. Come to the flowered garden. Come, come to Frey. Come to the waving wheat. Come, come to the joyous spring. Come to the bountiful harvest. Come to Frey. Come to the hunter's call. Come to the hoof and the antler. Come to the jingling bells. Come, come to Frey. Come to the flaxen-haired one. Come to the gentle God. Come to the iron-handed one. Come, come to Frey. Welcome everybody to another episode of Around Grandfather Fire. You're listening to episode number 18. I am Jim Two Snakes, joined as always by my good friend and co-host Sarenth Odinson. How are you doing tonight, Sarenth? I'm doing very well, thank you. Yeah, it seems like a while since we chatted. We, uh, I apologize to everybody out there in the listening audience. We kind of missed last week. I was a little under the weather, and uh, Sarenth had some technical difficulties, and so, yeah, <laughs> it is what it is. Eh, you know, I only lost a two-hour podcast. Well, you know, you, know, you didn't lose it. Happened. You got to experience it. It was all right. I got to experience it. It was really good. <laughs> well, we'll try rescheduling with that guest. What are you going to do, right? Mm-hmm reschedule and pray they can make it no problem <laughs> so what's new with you sarah anything going on not really uh i've just been working 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 that's been the name of the game for the better part of two weeks i've uh, been doing about four days of over t- oh, bleh, overtime per week oh joy so yeah yeah sleep is a a blessed commodity at this point but <laughs> um aside from that slowly working on some blog posts um I was going to bang out uh, that podcast last week <laughs> until I <laughs> discovered the MP3 recording wasn't quite what I thought it was. <laughs> um, aside from that, mostly just uh, having time with my kids. I uh, got to see Captain Marvel. Oh, yeah. Um, what would you think of it? Loved it. Really loved it. Um, I, had, I, In a lot of ways, I identify with the, the character, especially uh, 
with the consistent pushing of the suppression of emotions and things and your true self really coming out and shining when that finally those chains are taken off. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. I don't want to spoil too much, but, uh, I was uh, commenting to my, uh, my wife that, uh, just wait and see how many new casket named goose and flurgan. Oh yeah. Well not happening around here. I'm still kind of angry about that. Ah, uh, uh-oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, don't like want, it. I don't want any spoilers in there. Well, that one particular thing I had quite the problem with. Gotcha. That one that one thing, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, yeah, you know, eh. I mean, I, 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 did, I liked it. It was a fine film. It wasn't, um, I, I found it to leave, it was a little lacking for me. But then again, mm-hmm. I realized that I wasn't the uh, the prime demographic, you know. But it was really mm-hmm. kind of funny seeing how it spread out across my family. Like, uh, um, my wife thought, you know, Angie thought it was pretty decent. And uh, my son, Alex, really loved it. And my daughter, Raven, hated it. So I was like, I don't know what this movie was aiming at, honestly. But, you know, it it wasn't bad. It just wasn't my favorite by any means. That's totally fair. It's not gonna. It's not gonna click for everybody at all. Yeah, you know, and nothing ever will. Nothing ever will. You know, that's just kind of the way it goes sometimes. Yeah, Marvel seems to have some pretty. Uh, Captain Marvel seems to have some pretty sharp. You either really like it or you you don't. Right. Right. <laughs> well, and I mean the the, the Captain Marvel that I kind of grew up with wasn't that Captain Marvel. So there was. Oh, that's fair. Yeah okay. the the one that was in the Marvel comics. Um, um, as far as a superhero that was part of the Avengers was actually depicted by the little girl in that movie, or at least shared that same namesake. So I'm hoping mm. that eventually becomes something more. That would be cool. Yeah, it really would be. It really would be. So before we jump into our interview real quick, though, I, I do want to mention real quick, I, I don't know if anybody's been following my, uh, I've got a new Jim Two Snakes uh, Facebook page and I made a post there that I kind of want to mention there that the uh, there's some stuff going on I, I know a lot of people have heard about the flooding that's going on in the Midwest uh, the Ogallala Sioux are having a lot of difficulties on the Pine Ridge Reservation because of this flooding and I don't think it's getting the media coverage that it should be and there's a lot of this is already an impoverished area one of the 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 one of the poorest if not the poorest in the United States and there's massive flooding there and there's homes being washed out and they're they're just losing so much and it's really awful what's going on in the recovery process is going to be terrible and the Pine Ridge Reservation uh, has set up a emergency relief fund which you can find at pineridgerelief.org and from there you can donate on a face or a PayPal link and you can use your credit card or PayPal account or whatever and I'm encouraging people to go and donate there to help out um, I've been hearing reports from people that you know roads are washed out mostly getting away around with uh, uh, all-terrain vehicles, but a lot of people are on horseback and they're just trying to get emergency supplies where they need. Elders were being helicoptered out of areas where the roads have become impassable. There's just huge amount of devastation. So if you have a few dollars, please, everybody, go and donate there and help this relief effort. To be sure. I really appreciate you putting that out there because um, I haven't heard a lot 
on the, on the news or even anything mainstream about it. I mean, they'll say, oh, you know, the Midwest is flooded, the Midwest is flooded, but they're mm-hmm. not going to go into any detail. And they're certainly not going to talk about the tribal lands that seriously need help. Right. I mean, a, a lot of ranchers and farmers are getting wiped out. There's there's tons of dead livestock. There's a bunch of, of ruined crops. But let's face it, a lot of these farmers are going to get taken care of by our federal government, especially with the current administration where the tribal lands are not. And so that makes it up to us to pitch in and help out. Yeah, and I figure if folks can go fund me, you know, electronic gadgets, this is definitely something we can we can fund as individuals and communities. Exactly right. Exactly right. So once again, if you guys could go to pineridgerelief.org, and if you uh, scroll down, it's just about halfway down the page on the left-hand side, there's a donate today. Click on the donate via PayPal button. It'll take you right there where you can use it. Like I said, use your PayPal, use your credit card, and make a donation. So with that, I wanted to make sure I got that out of the way before we moved on. Is there, is there anything that you wanted to talk about, Sarenth, before you introduce our, our guest? Uh, honestly, not much is coming to mind right now. <laughs> All right. Fantastic. Well, why don't you, uh, why don't you introduce our fabulous guest tonight? All right, folks. So this has been in the works for a little bit now. I'm very happy to have Ocean on. Um, Ocean is a heathen that I've met through the uh, Skith Blathenir discord and uh, eventually started following uh, his twitter account um he does a lot of wonderful exchanges online both within our community and with uh skeptics atheists and the like uh former celtic polytheist and eventually made his way into heathenry and so i'm very happy to have him on and get his perspective on things so welcome to the show yo welcome thank you (laughs) (laughs) yeah we're really glad you could join us tonight thanks for coming on no I'm really happy to be on. Thank you guys for uh, having me on here. This is fantastic. Yeah. So um, for those of us on our show who don't know you, uh, can you give a, a brief background on where you've come out of and where you're at? Uh, well, I mean, I think that like like most, like a lot of heathens, I think I was a Christian for a long time. <laughs> but, uh, mm-hmm. You know, I've, I moved into uh, Celtic polytheism and I didn't, I never really quite moved out of Celtic polytheism or into Germanic polytheism. Um, I've, I still retain a, uh, a relationship with the Celtic gods as well. So I'm, I'm what's considered a, a multi-traditionalist in that, that I have recognition of multiple pantheons that I, you know, I view them as separate and the praxis is separate, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. they're, they're one spirituality as far as I'm concerned, um, as, as far as my personal praxis is concerned. Mm-hmm. So, right. um, you know, from from there, I also uh, in the multi-traditionist vein. I'm I also have a little bit of uh, a Roman tradition in there as well. Um, cultus cultus uh, diorum Romanorum, um, which is what I think that uh, a lot of the like more devoted community has been as as called the the Roman uh, Roman polytheism these days. So, um, but yeah, and as as far as like interacting with Within the community, and as to say, without the community, I guess the within the atheist community, I've been kind of a a curveball, so to speak, for a lot of the uh, atheist commentators and uh, agnostic commentators on the on the internets. Um, that they're not like a lot of times you get people that are very against religion, period. In that 
uh, sphere. And I've been one to say that, like, look, you know, I don't think that what you're against is necessarily God belief. I think that what you're against are the, are harmful practices and exclusivity practices mm-hmm. that are fairly unique to um, Abrahamic faiths. Not to say that there aren't harmful practices that take place in other faiths as well. It's obviously the case. But I think that um, it's not strictly God belief. There's a lot of polytheists out there, especially, who are not interested in proselytizing. We're not interested in restricting people's rights. Uh, we're more interested in just a mutual healthy respect and rather than, say, a begrudging tolerance. Yeah, I would agree with that. It's funny. It's funny. As some of us as, as polytheists, I think it's uh, uh, quite the opposite effect. Like sometimes if someone will say, well, tell me a little bit more, more about your, your faith or your spirituality or your mm-hmm. religion, I'm, I'm kind of like, um, oh, I get are you sure you're hesitation. ready for that? <laughs> I get that same hesitation still, man. Like, so, uh, you know, this, this is a kind of a running joke slash serious topic in, in the like just pagan world that we're all in the broom closet um, that you, you know, you, you, you have to take some steps out if you want to be able to really say, like express it, express your spirituality publicly. Like I, and I was just having a conversation today with somebody who was saying that he's, he, from what he's seen that as a, an atheist saying that from what he's seen, a lot of pagans are artist types and it's true. But I also think that it's true that the personality types that are in artists that are more like the rebellious mm-hmm. kind of nature, those people are going to be the ones who are going to be more comfortable of coming out of the broom closet publicly. Whereas there's a lot of pagans that I know that are more corporate types, but they're not public about it because of some blowback that they might get out of their uh, um, professional life. Which is just like, especially down here in the south where I'm from. I'm in, I'm down in Georgia, uh, which is like one of the one of the buckles of the Bible Belt, and <laughs> it's uh, you know I'm in Atlanta, which is kind of like a a a, a little bubble in that Bible Belt. But uh, I grew up in like North Georgia, where you know, and I was publicly pagan there, and you know that's an experience, man. So I completely understand a lot of people that are like, especially in the corporate world in Georgia, uh, there there can be blowback. Mm-hmm. They're just saying, I'm not Christian, much less I'm also pagan. <laughs> right, right. Uh, it's part of why I still, uh, up until recently, you know, really even using a pseudonym. Um, when I was in college, my primary concern was that uh, I was looking at going to a master's and PhD programs. I was concerned that nobody would want to publish me. Right. Oh, um, especially because, you know, you want to publish on things that are of relevant issue to polytheists. And for some reason, it's OK for Christians to write about their faith practices in context of transpersonal psychology and things like that. But when you start getting other religions, you know, they're big scare quotes, um, suddenly it becomes a problem. So, you know, from my religious writing versus my academic writing, I needed to have a line there so that they couldn't bash me with all this crazy sounding nonsense I wanted to throw into the mix with psychology and counseling. There's uh, an interest, like the, what I'm most familiar with that on is the bias that has shown up in the philosophy world, like being in the, you know, the atheist skeptic, great debate scene, you mm-hmm. run into a lot of people that are in philosophy and the polytheist 
uh, PhD philosophers that I'm aware of do say very much the same thing, that there is a bias in the academic community against us, despite the fact that if you look at polytheism from a, phil a philosophical angle, it's actually quite strong. Um, it, notably, Edward Butler is very public about it on Twitter. Uh, he's very, very forthcoming about the bias that is in the academic world against polytheists. Uh, and he's, you know, not only is he a, a published philosopher, but he's also an activist in that sense of just existing mm -hmm. is a form of activism for him. Uh, another one is Stephen Dillon, who has come under the same similar sort of fire. He's less public about it, but he wrote the uh, book Case for Polytheism, which I would recommend if anybody that's interested in philosophy um, to pick up a copy of that book. It's a, a Stephen Dillon uh case for polytheism it's, it's it's something that i'm doing a, writing a script for a youtube video on now uh that i'm approaching defining the gods which is based mostly on dylan's work he's hmm. been very good at articulating that oh excellent okay yeah well i mean that's a, that's a real big sticking point with a lot of folks just uh getting out the gate um yeah this last convocation um what, before i ha i was able to do anything on the meat of uh heathen cosmology I put mm -hmm. this workshop together called the uh, Yggdrasil's Roots and Branches, something to that effect. And I was talking about the different cosmological things in it. But before we even could get into cosmology, I had to define what the gods are. And it's really funny how even within pagan spheres, there's this real lack of understanding of what we're worshiping. <laughs> right. No, I, I, that's, that's true. <laughs> uh, and, you know, I've, you know, in getting into philosophy, from it's it's interesting seeing the difference between how pagans view what God is, what that term means, and what Christian philosophers view what that term means. Widely different. And you know, it's it's Just almost it's bit. it's clear that they're not talking about the same thing. It's there's mm -hmm. a there's a similarity, but the perspective is different. Whereas Christians are more much more concerned with these several attributes of God that they've laden onto this concept, like omnipresence, omniscience, uh, so on and such as. It's like there's uh, omnibenevolence. These kind of like hamper their God in also trying to be the only one and trying to be the greatest at the same time. It's a very odd sort of thing that they're doing. With polytheists, polytheists are looking at it from a more uh, experiential approach, which is similar to what a lot of the rest of philosophy is based on anyway. When you get into right. trying to get out of solipsism or uh, discussing empiricism, um, I'm throwing out a lot of terms. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to ask if you to find those for us. <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's, I wish I had some definitions in front of me, but essentially uh, solipsism is this idea that your mind is the only thing that exists mm. and that everything else is a mental projection. And then you can get into some other ideas like idealism that is everything that other things exist, but everything that we perceive is a mental projection of the, what is actually there that isn't quite like what our mind's construction is, is very different from what's actually there. Um, and you know, philosophy, China moves around in these things, and there's a number of assumptions you have to make before you get to there's the physical world and we can understand it. Likewise, you know, we do this on the basis of like our intuition. We intuit a physical world. Uh, likewise, with the gods from the pagan perspective or polytheist perspective, 
we intuit the we intuit the gods, and therefore there's a reason to posit them because of our experiences with them. Then, once we've posited them and defined what we've experienced in terms of what we've experienced, then we can get into a greater discussion of what uh, what the gods are and what that means for tradition and approach from there. Uh, and and I hearken back to if you. Uh, one of the uh, a great polytheist work of philosophy going back to the Roman uh, Roman Empire is Cicero's On the Nature of the Gods, which is honestly a very skeptical approach to polytheism, in which Cicero deals with the Epicurean approach to, to deity and the Stoic approach to deity, and he tears both of them down at the same time while having an argument on arguing for support and against both of these ideas. And that the value that comes out of that is that even as a polytheist and discussing what the gods are, you should be constantly questioning. You should be constantly checking through logic and rational approaches, which I think is extremely important and something that uh, I think needs to be talked about more, both in the pagan community and outside of the pagan community, because atheists often have this argument that all people that are religious are completely irrational and it's like well we're a lot of the same steps that we're using to get to the gods are the same steps that you're using to get to a physical world and mm -hmm. either they're both irrational or they're both rational it's not right. one it's not it's not one or the other see that's funny it totally reminds me of uh, jim and you're consistent going back to uh discernment and the process mm -hmm. and so to me it's just you know the methodology, if it works for, it's good for the goose, it's good for the gander. You know, right. And I, I, I constantly look to, to Jim and his, uh, his methods for that because it's been fairly consistently useful. Mm -hmm. And I think, um, would you like to talk a little bit about that? Because I don't think we've actually talked about that on this show too much. No. Um, and, so the, the turn of phrase that I like to use is spiritual accounting. And I've often advised people that are just getting into the, the these spiritual paths, polytheism and dealing with the gods and the spirits, that one of the most ironically useful things that you're going to find is an actual spreadsheet program, because you can start doing things like keeping track of this is the message I heard. Is it correct? What percentage is it correct? When was it wrong? Which spirit is good for this kind of information? Which spirit is good for that kind of information? Because you might find that your your Uncle Bob he he's great at defending the house or defending something in your life, but he really sucks at at love stuff when it comes to dealing with that as a spirit. And so there's all this, this discernment and you, you double check against other practitioners that are working with similar spirits or the same spirit. You're going to double check by getting, um, divinations done you're going to keep track in a journal and you're you're constantly questioning and double checking everything that's coming into you both from people and from from less physical spirits and and you're using that to guide yourself and what you what you believe in and always being open to the idea that there might not be such a thing as an ultimate truth you might have to come to a point one day where you throw all your conclusions on there on their head and, and go a different direction. You have to be open to the information coming in. Absolutely agree with that. Like <laughs> 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 I, 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 uh, I think that there's, there's definitely value to having that, that kind of process. Uh, I think that like the thing that I, I tend to harp on for the most part is 
that philosophical check that if you're and I, I would tweak a little bit of your wording that uh, is rather than like a message that I heard, it would be like a message that I understood. Hmm. Um, I can see that. that. Like, cause I don't, sometimes there's a, like, there's an audible aspect to it as far as how it's perceived. But like, I think that it, is it sound waves? Probably not. Right. Right. But yeah, right. I, so, we, we have talked about that many times that, uh, uh, both the terms heard or vision are massively overused. They're just basically sometimes a, a suitcase handle for a much larger experience or something that's mo a lot more intuitive than anything. Right. Um, and one of the things that is in uh, Stephen Dillon's definition set is that the gods are a disembodied mind, that their, their consciousness is non-physical. And that in addition to that, we would understand the human consciousness to be something that is also non-physical. This is something that when you get into conversations about uh, neuroscience or you get into conversations with psychology, there is some discussion about whether or not consciousness is a non-physical element or if it's something that arises out of the physical. There's a, there's a disagreement there. Now, the idea of how the gods communicate with humans would be non-physical to non-physical, that our consciousness is interacting with their consciousness in some way that all of this is happening is not something that can be accounted for by by physical examination and understanding um and this would be this would cohere with as far as i know scientific understanding this is and you know maybe somebody can check me on that this is one of the things that i find to be an extremely interesting aspect of the conversation that whether or not um our experiences of the gods are internal to our minds or external to our minds is de very highly dependent on perspective and what axioms you're holding before you go into that conversation, which I think is, it's fascinating to me. Um, would, would it be a bit of a mistake to try to categorize it as an either or? Uh, possibly. I, I would say if you want to go like true dichotomy with it, you would say it's either internal or not internal. Like it is either something that is inspired by you as the agent, as the sole agent, or not by you, uh, or it's a physical or not physical. So if you want to try and like build a true either or situation, you would have either it is this thing or it is not this thing. Mm -hmm. And if it is not this thing, then uh, you know it would be something other, obviously. <laughs> and there's multiple choices, obviously. Right. Yeah, like, I mean, it that's is... one of the strengths of polytheism, though, is that we, we have the the understanding. I'm thinking of heathenry's soul matrix, you know, whether you look at it as five or 17 parts. You know, there's right. some that are, that are inbound in the body, and then there's some that are non-material. Right. Like uh, Hammer, I believe, is... Yes. That's, your, that's the physicality. And then uh, Huger may not be. Um, and... Uh, I keep messing up on how to pronounce uh, the animal spirit, the phygia. Phygia. Uh, phygia, yeah. Um, that that would be something that would definitely be a non-physical. Mm -hmm. um, but it would be something you might be able to perceive that in uh, uh, Nord Saga, there's the, uh, I believe, um, what's the character's name? Is it Thorn? Who sees his, uh, sees his, uh, his goat spirit in the yard. Yeah, right before, right before he's killed. Right. Um, yeah. Spoilers, but 
but yeah, it's, it's seen as a bad omen that he sees his animal spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. Um, I, I just, I, I think it's one of the strengths of polytheism. And I, I love this uh, term that Butler uses, that Dr. Butler uses, uh, polycentric polytheism. <laughs> um, there's many centers to, to truth and the many centers that can uh, encompass where polytheism is laid down and comes out of. And that, that reminds me of something that Cicero said about the discussion of the nature of the gods. In, in the, the first few pages, he says that there are multiple ontologies for the gods. Now, either, you know, one of them is true or... Yeah, you know, it, it, it's basically several. There's several ontologies for the gods, and you can't have more than one of them be true. Obviously, they're not all true because they're contradictory. We don't live in a contradictory universe. We go on the basis of that assumption that logic is functional. So, uh, either one of them is true, or none of them are true. And if none of them are true, that doesn't necessarily mean the gods don't exist. It just means that we haven't discovered the right ontology yet. It could also mean the gods don't exist, but it can also mean that none of the ontologies that are available to us are the right one. So there's a a constant, uh, and Cicero, as a skeptical human, is constantly saying, keep questioning. Keep tearing down your own arguments. That way, that after you tear down your own arguments, you can come back with a stronger one. And that, that accounts for why you tore down the previous one. And it's it's a constant process of ripping yourself down and building yourself back up again uh, that not everybody's comfortable with. <laughs> I think that a lot of people want there to be like an answer. They just you know, get handed this answer and here it is. Um, you know, it's it's a, a common criticism of Christians. It's like, well, you, why do you believe that? Well, because my preacher told me. And, you know, that that's not the system that we should be doing. We should be constantly... We want to be constantly questioning ourselves. Now, uh, there is a point of doing that to a fault. Like when you get into, well, maybe the physical universe doesn't exist, therefore I'm not going to eat. (laughs) I can survive on sun rays alone. (laughs) There's a certain amount of pragmatism that you need in order to actually function. But, uh, you know, that's that's part of the fun balance, honestly, in in examining these questions uh, of spirituality is that you wind up kind of going, all right, well, is this healthy for me or is this not? Is, you know, should I be, it, I could need to tear myself down here because holding this position in spite of something is unhealthy. Um, so anyway, that's, that's a, a constant internal thing that I've got going on in my head. <laughs> it's uh, probably fairly common in, in the pagan community, I think, uh, as I'm regularly running into people that keep having like this, you know, like, yeah, I'm self-doubting. Okay, well, on what, and then we have the conversation about it, and it's uh, we point each other to books and resources, and mm-hmm. or uh, edify one another with one personal experience that is very similar to another's personal experience, in, in order to have like a shared personal gnosis, which is hugely valuable. And, um, you know, I'm I'm rambling a little bit, but I'll no, that's actually I, I actually wanted to jump on that point with both feet because my my. Um, something that comes out of a lot of people who are like, well, why do you question so much if you've got these experiences? Mm-hmm. Um, and kind of the, the point that I bring them to is, you know, it's okay to question 
when you're outside of the experience. Like if you're sitting in the experience, like say you're sitting down to pray and you're constantly going, is this real? Is this? Then you're not really praying. Right, right. You're if just you're, distracted you're at there, that point. Yeah. If, if yeah. you're consistently going, oh, okay, well, I've got this plate of food and you're wondering if it's a waste. Well, you're not concentrating on that being an offering. It's not an offering at this point. It's, it's something that you're putting on a table. But you could, even when you're eating, Right. <laughs> if you're right. you're eating food and you're constantly questioning whether or not the food is real and you're having that experience of eating the food the meal is going to be done before you have a chance to enjoy it right and the is, same is true with having a spiritual experience if you're, if i'm have if i'm in the middle of a spiritual experience i'm along for the ride and i think that that's kind of a way to a good way to approach it rather than you know if you start questioning the experience in the moment you may kind of like drift around and something, you know, and it's the same thing with eating. It doesn't mean you're not eating food if you pull yourself out of it. It doesn't mean you're not experiencing a God if you're questioning of it pulls you out of it. It just means that your mental state is pulling you away from what's happening around you. So, uh, you know, I'm, I've, you know, that's a, a fun analogy, I guess, but uh, I'm bad at ending things. Here, let me just toss the conversation <laughs> back. back <there>. <laughs> <laughs> So how how did you kind of head down this route? I, I'm curious, especially to the point where where you're spending a lot of time with this debate with people that are that are more of the atheist mindset or bent than you. Is that what kind of led that progression down this way? Well, you know, I was a, a Christian and I enjoyed debating back in the day, and one of the things that got really interesting to me was. Uh, debating other Christians on uh, theological matters, as as well as trying to have an honest investigation into what the faith was really about. Mm. And in my search in Christianity, I've wound up getting into situations in which asking, like, like putting my love for debate aside, um, I would be asking honest questions in a church about what I thought were important theological topics, like about hell, for example. And the, the common response that I would get from Christians would be, you're, you're focusing too much on the details. Mm. I'm like, it's hell. <laughs> and, right. Of course, I'm about the details. This is my eternal soul we're talking about here. Let's let's get. No, you're saved. It's fine. No, 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 no. Hold on. No. I'm more. I'm concerned about all kinds of things. <laughs> and you know, if there's. Let's. I want to. I want to suss this out. And the. <laughs> uh, the adventure on that wound up with me getting into a form of Christianity called Pelagianism. It's Celtic Christianity. And. Ooh. Okay. Uh, the Pelagius was really interesting that he held that if there's there's a, a original blessing instead of original sin. He didn't hold to original sin. Mm -hmm. He held to the idea that people were very were you know naturally good. They were created good, and that it was possible to live a sinless life. Not that anybody's ever done it, but that it was possible. And beyond that, he also uh, held that. The true word of God was in your experience of it. That if you had a something telling you in your heart of hearts, something that was different from the text of the Bible, then the Bible was what was wrong, because God's eternal word is not 
a translatable text. God's eternal word is in nature, in hmm. you. And that struck me. Yeah, I can see why. That's very attractive, especially given mm-hmm. some of the the various denominations that are out there, their approach. And some of the huge problems with the Bible that seem to deny certain people their humanity as well. Like, that, that is, <laughs> yes. uh, like you know, the, the obvious issue is how the Bible deals with homosexuality. You know, like, it's, it's not an issue that directly affects me, but it's one that affects people that I know. Mm-hmm. And I had a huge problem as a Christian following a faith that in which a perfectly moral God was saying these things. So, you know, I was, Pelagianism was a solution for that. It was, it was something that was like, okay, well, this, this feels right. But then in my adventures through, through Pelagianism, it was like, well, no, this isn't, you know, maybe there's not, hmm. And I, I wound up having some spiritual experiences over the course of my adventures as a Pelagian and started looking more into the sources of like what the roots of Pelagianism is. And I found Celtic polytheism mm. and that became much more consistent and much more coherent with, than what I was defending as a Christian. Uh, and from there I, I evolved into, um, you know, generalized polytheist and mainly a heathen at this point. Uh, but that, that, perspective from Pelagius, I think, is important both for Christians and pagans to be mindful of, that, you know, the text isn't something that's necessarily the Word of God handed down as being an absolute truth, you know, and that applies to our text as well as the Bible. Well, yeah, even more so to ours, because ours aren't religious texts. Right. We're not... We don't have the same claims about the Bible that Christians do. We we can't. Some Christian lawyer wrote down most of this crap about two, three hundred years after I mean, the fact. That's that's a problem, right? So <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, it's like nah, yeah, we're looking at our faith through the lens of a of a Christian lawyer. Hmm. Well, and by Christian lawyer, we're talking about Snorri, who's, uh, you know, like. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know, it's like, uh, I can't remember the century, 14th, 13th, 14th century, this mm-hmm. story, but maybe even earlier than that, um, that, uh, you know, is the, is the lens through which we see a lot of our work. And then Saxo Germanicus is a bishop, is another lens through which we uh, look at a lot of our works. Um, but, you know, so we can't hold this as just being the inspired word of God necessarily, unless we believe that they, it, that, he was working through a Christian, which I guess is possible, but um, more so, it doesn't necessarily need to work that way. That we can we can look at the texts and uh, disagree with our ancestors. We can disagree with uh, different gods, for example. Like I'm Loki, may be a god. I don't hold all the same opinions that he does. <laughs> right. Uh, and you know that that can apply across the pantheon. That I I am an agent of my own will, just as much as as say the gods are. Um, and I in within heathenry, our actions matter very much. So, and it's it's not necessarily actions that are dictated to us by the gods. It's that winds up being Christian thinking. Within polytheism, we're very much our own agents. Um, 
and our relationship with the gods is valuable. Uh, but it's not necessarily something that we need to be, you know, jumping head over heels in fear of them. That's where a lot of poly, like if you go into Greek understanding, going back to Plutarch as well, uh, who's a Roman, he talks about superstition being a fear of the gods. This idea that you have to bend over backwards in order to please them in every situation that you think that the gods might be offended. Uh, I think that it's described, um, I'd have to look it up, but there's a, one Greek philosopher describes describes it as uh, a man who uh, bows to Hera, or bows to Athena and cries out for forgiveness every time he sees an owl. would be someone who's just in an irrational fear of the gods. Mm-hmm. Um and I'm taking a windy road, but uh, Plutarch expands on this, saying that this kind of behavior is what creates atheism. Because <laughs> atheists see this kind of stuff and they go, you're, you're nuts. And then they, they take a step back, stepping over the true faith into a rejection of it entirely. Uh, which is what I think that we see in our society when it comes to evangelicals and people like mainline Christians looking at evangelicals and going, uh-uh. And stepping out of the faith and going into atheism, because we have this binary understanding in our society that you know it's either the Christian God or none, and there's no middle ground. There's no uh, other choices of spirituality, which was an easy step for me because I was looking at I was exiting Christianity through a Celtic lens. That was a long road I took. <laughs> no, that's, I, I actually really appreciate that. Um. Because I, I took a very similar uh, route with my, my Catholic Christianity growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, unlike you, I had a very accommodating couple of priests in my life who uh, were more than willing to answer questions uh, ranging from, from details on hell to, okay, what's with the animals on the cover of the Bible if we don't worship animals? Uh, <laughs> uh what, are, are these like are these like the totems that I hear about from from native religion? Is that what those are? <laughs> right. So, I, like I said, very very. You're asking the wrong questions. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Um. So, as, as somebody who's who's neck deep in spirit work, um, you know, I think that there is such a thing as a healthy fear of the gods, in terms yeah. of. Uh, these are the boundaries we don't cross. These are the taboos we hold. I think that outright fearing them in all occasions is, uh, I agree with Cicero on this. It's definitely superstition. Um, yeah. You know, if you're falling down in front of every, well, from an animus perspective, you know, if every patch of grass has an indwelling spirit, you're not going to get anywhere very fast, are you? Right. If you're to... falling down to apologize for stepping on somebody. Yeah. Like acknowledge the divinity in every blade of grass. That's, it's, Maybe it's true, but it doesn't mean that we need to sit there and acknowledge the divinity of every blade of grass and going to our day-to-day work, um, that there, there is a functionality that we maintain and that there is a, a measured uh, approach to spirituality that operates quite well with a philosophical checking on it. And that was uh, part of Cicero's whole point and part of Plutarch's when talking about the relationship between um, superstition and atheism that going radically in this direction to a point of fear 
which is the only reason why you would be acknowledging this divinity in every blade of grass as you're walking is because you're afraid of some kind of recourse that might happen if you don't do that. And, uh, but, you know, seeing that happen causes you to go, eh, maybe this whole thing is nuts. And then you jump into atheism. Um, and Plutarch's criticism of atheists was that in doing that, you wind up having a position in which one scoffs at culture, that the things that bind us together as, as humans and uh, the relationships that we're having with the divine are not something necessarily to be scoffed at. It's something that's worthy of respect. It's something that makes us human. And wholesale rejecting that, while maybe fine for some people on an individual basis, isn't something that needs to be done to everybody else. You wind up with people that, uh, which I run into, you know, on in the Twitter sphere and as far as the, the uh, atheist community is concerned, occasionally, even with the podcast that I'm running where my co-host is an atheist, um, occasionally we get people that are like, that are extremely disrespectful that say that, you know, that because I'm religious, I must be crazy because of, and they hold this position because they saw somebody superstitious, probably a Christian. Um, which, you know, great. You have your reasons for not being a Christian. You have your reasons for abandoning mm -hmm. spirituality. That doesn't mean that you need to dictate that standard to everybody else around you. Mm -hmm. uh, and this is a, a point that I seem to be all too often harping on <laughs> within, the, <laughs> within the atheist community. I'm actually going to be going to an atheist convention soon where uh, it's called Faithless Forum. Um, one of the uh, people leading it or holding it has invited me. So I'm going to be in Texas with a, a lot of the uh, people, the atheist community of Austin and um, a lot of like big name atheists like Mr. Atheist and uh, genetically modified skeptic, um, as well as my co-host, uh, Cirrus the Skeptic, um, where I'm going to be the pagan. For <laughs> 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 uh, doing that. <laughs> and I'm often the pagan in, in atheist circles. Uh, and I'm also I've I've gotten to a point now where I have a pretty thick skin about it, and I've I've gotten used to having to throw out these defenses, which I'm tossing in y'all's direction because I think that, like in my little adventures here, I've learned a few defenses, and I think that they should be more commonly known, and that's part of why I'm doing the the YouTube channel thing. That um, I think that more I want to be able to package some of these, um, you know, elements of polytheist history that have been used in order to comment on things that are relevant today with polytheists and put them out there in something that's easy, easily digestible, as well as continue using them in interactions with atheists to give us a little bit more respect. And ultimately my goal is like, look, if, if I'm, if I interact with an atheist and the atheist comes away from the conversation with a respect for me, then they come they come away from the conversation with a greater respect for polytheists generally. And if that softens the blow, for another polytheist, the next polytheist that they run into, then I've done my job, and I'm happy with that. It's it's kind of interesting because I think uh, for a lot of people who are pagan or polytheist, the the challenge that they confront themselves with to to uh, question their own faith, to challenge their own faith, is is that of Christianity, which most of them escape from. Where you're taking the the lens of using. Um, 
atheism as the mirror that you're that you're looking at your faith with, which I and and using that philosophy to expand on it, which I find kind of interesting and and uh, refreshing because you're taking a more intellectual course with it. And I think that that probably has a lot more benefit because it seems like a lot of the the reflection using Christianity just ends up being argumentative and and not really productive in the long term. Does that make sense? Yeah, it reminds me of kind of two points. Uh, one is the idea of questioning your faith, I think, is a value among polytheists. Uh, and I think that a lot of some polytheists that are afraid to do that are experiencing something that I call latent Christianity. Hmm. And that is that you've you've come to paganism as an ex-Christian, but you still have a lot of your carry-on baggage from Christianity. <laughs> right. And, and you have things that where you like, you know, you're questioning your faith, but you know, as a Christian, that's a bad thing to do. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, shoot. Uh, maybe I shouldn't do that. And that little, that the little, little Jesus in your carry on baggage is going, stop questioning things. And <laughs> so you listen to that. You're like, no, no, I shouldn't question my faith. This is a bad thing to do. And, but, you know, then eventually you're able to step away from that, that, that Christianity mindset. And be like, no, it's perfectly fine to question my faith. In fact, when you go back into uh, the polytheist philosophers of our history, they're constantly questioning each other and insulting each other and tearing each other down. It's like it's recreational. <laughs> uh, and that being said, that the the second thing that I want to bring up is that I think that you know, in my discussions with atheists, what I've found is that it's it's really, it's actually quite fun to have that interaction because it does cause you to question yourself. They mm-hmm. do, mm-hmm. like skeptics and, and atheists, will often bring up very good points. And it causes you to go, well, now I need to start re-examining things. Let's, let's start, let's, what are the answers that, has this question been asked before? Who answered it? How did they answer it? How should I approach it? Maybe those are two different things. And, you know, then it winds up being a much more interesting and engaging exploration of faith because you've got these, these sounding boards, at least in, in, in my experience in the atheist community, atheists will happily let you know what's wrong with your faith. And, <laughs> right. you know, <laughs> they seem all too keen to do it. And, uh, you know, if you're interested in checking yourself, then oftentimes atheists that aren't just like name calling, can be can have very valuable conversations, uh, and that's you know that's a good thing. Questioning is a good thing. Going back to Cicero, questioning is a good thing, uh, and and valuable. Now, do, do you think there's ever have you ever experienced? I guess maybe is the is the better way of phrasing this, um, or is there a connection? between like the the so-called dark night of the soul or having that that risk of feeling spiritually isolated like you know it's always good to question your beliefs but what happens at those moments when you're sitting there questioning everything and and it makes you feel totally lost you don't feel like you're connecting to spirit is this a way out of it does it make it worse is it um, how do you approach it from that way or is that something you've ever experienced I've I've had those times, and uh, you know, a lot of people, a lot of heathens that I know have had those times, and you know, those are those are points where, how I view that is, those are times to sit there and go, okay, well, 
you know, where am I? What am I approaching? Mm-hmm. What, like, you know, because uh, I've had like some some moments where I was just like, well, maybe I'm not a polytheist. And I think that there's a uh, important aspect is a distinction between Christianity and polytheism. That poly that Christianity has this like requirement of certainty, mm. and that's something that is part of that Christian carry-on baggage that I was referencing earlier with the the high-pitched Jesus. And Christianity, you need to have this certainty. And if you don't have this certainty, well, you've lost your faith. Mm-hmm. And polytheism, that's not quite what's happening. And polytheism, it, the the perspective that we hold is that it's not necessarily a virtue to be completely certain all the time (laughs) you know you can be Mm -hmm. uncertain you can even step away from it for a little while and be like well you know maybe i need to get a better frame of mind here uh and with me it's always been i've always wound up coming back to it naturally uh and i I can't say that out of like being something of, of some sort of external pressure i don't feel that necessarily I'm perfectly content to to hold my own positions on things and and push back and rebel against things, but uh, you know I've always I've, I've wound up holding well you know there's a huge value to polytheism mm-hmm. in as far as the the frame of thought that it gives as well in addition to the spiritual experiences in addition to the whole uh, worldview of it no, that I- it gives me a perspective. Yeah, I, I really appreciate that because I think that if there's nothing else that people can pull out of this entire interview, it's the fact that, yeah, that Christian baggage is not needed in that regard and that uh, um, that we all kind of experience it. And, and like you said, that absolute faith is is not required because I think that what happens is a lot of it, it starts forming an emotional uh, negative feedback where you people start questioning am I even a good person? Is there a reason the spirit's not speaking to me right now? Am I, you know what I mean? And, right, and, right. And, and I think there's a helpful model to being able to say, I don't have to be certain right now, but let's just approach this intellectually, philosophically and see what happens. And I think that's a, that's a valuable resource to give to people that that is a valid option. And one of the things that we need to keep in mind as well is that the gods are agents themselves. That you know, if you're not if you're not having a spiritual experience on whim, should you be? <laughs> <laughs> right. So I come across this a lot. I mean, I know Jim and I both have come across this a lot because being a spirit worker, a lot of people go, "Well, why can't I have your experiences?" Okay, <laughs> are you me? Right. I mean. It's a- uh, and are you wired for it? Do you have the the time? Have you dedicated blah number of God, God knows how many years to do the work that you say you want to do? Do you actually right. want it, or do you just want the experience? Yeah, and there's it's a lot not, of work that comes. It's not exactly like that that part either. That there's there's a certain amount right. of like devotion that you can take in praxis, and then you sure. know, obviously, like you in in the the reciprocity of heathenry, you wind up with a stronger relationship with deity. That being said, as well, if the gods are doing something else, they can fuck off for a little bit. <laughs> uh, that's totally fine. Uh, and that's, you know, maybe you know, you're, in your spirit work, you're coming up negative because, like, just, you know, that, 
Oda doesn't want to fucking cooperate right yeah, now. Yeah, he's, so... he's nipped out for a quick <laughs> ale. He'll be back in a bit. Right. It's like, you know, BRB, closed for business. Um, <laughs> and that's that's perfectly consistent with the polytheist worldview. Uh, so the, like Christians feel abandoned because there's mm-hmm. this idea uh, like that this, what we see as normal with the polytheistic framework doesn't work for Christianity because Christianity, you have this omnipotent deity that desires to have a relationship with you. So if you're praying and getting nothing, you're abandoned. Mm-hmm. And that can feel really empty from the perspective of a Christian. It's, it's mm-hmm. causes you to be crestfallen to the point of maybe even trying to make up for it. That suddenly, oh, no, God has abandoned me. I must be a sinner. And that's a thought process that some polytheists have, but it's not something that—that's, again, that latent Christianity coming in. Like, so if you're, if you're feeling that way as a pagan, you should be like, well, well why? <laughs> uh, we don't have this concept of sin that is pulling me away from, from deity. Yeah. It's not even a gods of limited access thing. It's literally their attention's elsewhere, and this isn't, you know, this might not be something that needs to happen right now. Right. Right. It's, it's, it's nothing about, you know, oh, you can't access them because you don't have enough people praying. It's, it's the gods are busy. They have a cosmos to run. <laughs> like we believe, we believe in the gifting cycle and reciprocity right. with the gods, but they also, you know, just like you're, you're not available for every phone call. Uh, <laughs> neither right. are the gods. <laughs> oh man! So talk about your YouTube channel a little bit here. I was I was listening to some of your video. Your uh, the one you posted up a few days ago, I guess. Now God can go to hell, which I was finding some interesting points in that. Is that what kind of stuff are you hoping to do more on your YouTube channel? So I I'm coming at this as far as my interaction with the the YouTube community, most of my, most of the people that are aware of me are atheist. And, uh, there's a, there's a number of heathens as well and polytheists of different stripes, but, uh, I'd say a fair number of the, especially the creators that I'm running into. There's a, there's a, a destitute of polytheist YouTubers or creators or content creators on, on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a handful and they're good, but, um, there's not very many, mm-hmm. definitely not as many as there are atheists. So one of the things that I wanted to do is I'm coming at this from a debate perspective and where I'm, I criticize, I have strong criticisms of Christianity. I have strong criticisms of atheism. I opened with a criticism of Christianity, a knowing my damn audience and <laughs> B because, you know, there's, it's important from the perspective of like when the atheists are looking at you to let, let them know, Hey, you and I are aligned on this. This is one of the things that we agree on and can work together on. We are just as much ingrained in a struggle against Christianity as you are, if not more so, because they see us as demon worshipers, and you, at least, you're not, you're not some demon worshiper, you atheist. You're, you know, you believe in nothing or whatever. And some Christians have this idea, well, at least you believe in something. Yeah, but I... I'm just... But uh, <laughs> another thing that I like to do is in debates, I love backdoor uh, approaches to subjects and arguing that if God exists, therefore he must go to hell, which is the premise of that video is a backdoor kind of argument that as soon as you accept everything about Christianity, then God's the one that needs to get, get packing into the hell place. Uh, and that's one that it wound up being something that got, 
uh, retweeted by several atheist creators in the community um, as being something that Christians need to respond to. Because all the premises that I use to build the argument are things that Christians should agree with, namely that, you know, that God is omniscient, he knows the future, um, that he's the first cause, he caused all actions in the universe, he sends only those who are responsible for sin to hell, God is just. Wait, who's responsible for sin? Is it, <laughs> is it, is it the humans or is it the thing that caused everything that happens in the universe? I think it's the thing that causes everything that happens in the universe. Okay, well, then he needs to go to hell. The only just thing to do for such a deity is to send him to hell. Uh, and then I also deal with the same argument from the perspective of, well, what if we just consider free will for a second? Well, same problem, actually, because now God is randomly sending things to hell, and I make an argument for that. Uh, and, you know, the, uh, there's a number of subjects that I want to tackle. A lot of them I've mentioned in this video. I want to talk about Plutarch. I want to talk about latent Christianity. I want to talk about Cicero and defining the gods. Um, but I'm, you know, working on a few scripts right now, and, you know, things are things are going to come slowly because I want to make sure that my scripts are on point. Mm -hmm. But uh, part of the, the thing for this um, is I, I want to... I want to get a lot of these ideas out there because, I, as I stated earlier, that I think that some of these observations that I have are things that I want to have in like a packaged form because uh, people find them very useful in conversations with me, but they're not something they can easily just give to another person. Uh, so, you yeah, know, making I, videos that are like ten to twelve minutes is so. I'm looking for a good way to, to do because that because I, I'm. Uh, I have learned the hard way over the years that my learning style is much more listening to people talk than it is reading. And so some of the philosophy texts are, are very daunting to me. So to have someone that is willing to just speak about those topics is naturally going to be a, a conducive way for me to learning some of this. So I, I'm looking forward to it. Thanks. I appreciate that. And I'm happy to, to jump into it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it's it's a it's daunting to, trying to make videos because you know there's you got to record things you got to edit your audio you got to create some kind of visual I have a turtle thing that I use um, which is a, uh, is a name for it that I uh, it's Icelandic so I'm not going to try to pronounce it but it means basically turtle friend um, <laughs> but uh, you know I'm there's a lot of work that goes into like a video editing and creation and mm -hmm. I'm, I'm under the, uh, I've got a, a good relationship with a friend of mine who is uh, Suris the skeptic that does these videos every day. He's got a daily upload atheist channel and, or skeptic channel rather. He doesn't want to be really considered an atheist channel necessarily, but, uh, he's doing this every day. And he can make a he can make a video as long as he knows the subject. He can belt one out in about four hours. And uh, I've been, you know, once I get the script together, I can do that at a much slower speed. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I've I've got I want to make sure that my scripts are on point. Mm -hmm. um, and there's a lot of tech that goes into it. And you know, there's a there's a a funny trope of relationship between technology and pagans. It just doesn't not necessarily the best relationship that we have with technology <laughs> well while i'm on the subject how can people find you online or or find your youtube channel find your twitter is, is that the best place to find you or what other places should they be looking 
Twitter is the most accessible spot for me. Uh, my Twitter handle is Ocean Keltoy. Um, and the YouTube, I need to change it to Ocean Keltoy. But right now it's just Ocean because, uh, you know, Google doesn't let you change names as often as I want to change my name on YouTube. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, beyond that, I also, you know, have a Discord uh, called Ocean's Hold. Um that I can give you guys the link for, but uh, that's something that's not as easy to like pass around. Um, it is in the YouTube description of God can go to hell though. The, the discord is so um, you can access me there. Um, but the, the most accessible I'm, I'm, I am is on Twitter. I'm, I, I stalk Twitter a little bit. So, <laughs> you know, there you go. <laughs> Now, I, I am also curious, as long as I'm as I'm thinking of the subject of these videos and your interaction with atheists, has there been occurrences where it's kind of gone the other way, where after a nice in-depth conversation, you have an atheist walking away going, huh, maybe I'm polytheist. It's happened a couple of times. Oh, excellent. My my goal isn't to convert people, though. No, no, of like, course not. I, but I, like when, but you're, when you're that challenging happens, though, it's, people it's interesting. on an intellectual way, and if they're... Yeah actually being um, truthful with themselves and, and responding to the arguments you're giving, there's a chance that that could happen. So I was curious right. if it had. Yeah, it does every once in a while, but it's, it's not, it's not my goal and it's not something that's common. Right. But it has happened a few times. Interesting. Um, you know, specifically uh, what's, what's happened is that an in interaction with me, that's, it's spawned this like small group of people that used to be big atheist YouTubers that are now atheopagan after interacting with me. It's like, they're not, they don't believe in the gods necessarily, but they do see the value in a lot of what I'm doing from a cultural perspective. And, uh, you know, now they identify as atheopagan. Uh, there's Frank Wolf of the, of the geek room and, uh, another guy named frustrated atheist. Um, they're both atheopagans now. Uh, hmm. and another person that was an atheopagan came to me with an experience uh, it was very interesting the way she described it. She said that, uh, you know, it was a dream in which she was in a wheat field and there was a woman with long hair that was making her feel just incredibly long blonde hair that was just making her feel incredibly calm. And that that calmness uh, remained after the dream throughout most of the day. And that she had been dealing with some hefty decisions that she needed to make. And this kind of made her feel like that she was on the right path. Mm -hmm. And she told me about it. And I said, well, that's interesting. Have you, are you familiar at all with a deity named Sif? And she's no. Okay. Well, you know, here's a Wikipedia page. And uh, so this is, this is something that could easily be very heavily associated with this dream experience that you had. And you can, uh, you know, take it as you will. And suddenly she had a lot of questions about polytheism. She was like, <laughs> um, so, you know, uh, and we had a conversation and basically it was the, the way that I tried, I try to approach this as unbiased as possible. Cause again, I'm not interested in converting people. Mm -hmm. And it was, well, if you, if you believe that this experience was internal as, as you're an atheopagan, you would believe that this is something that is just a product of your mind having dreams. Um, if you are approaching this as a polytheist, you would say that this feeling that you had 
was inspired by an interaction with something external to you. And you can approach it either way. And she's, as of now, has, has decided, well, I'm not an atheopagan anymore. I'm a polytheist. Um, <laughs> and, you know, it's, it's helped her. Um, That's a hell of a bridge to cross. That's mm-hmm. a really big bridge to cross. That's not yeah. easy. It was faster than I thought it would be, which is one of the, it's, it can like a lot of times when you get situations like that, it can be very flash in the pan and uh, they're like, well, no, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm an atheist again or something like that. And that's, that's, that'll happen. But um, because like it's, it does come down to a perspective on a lot of like this, an atheist and and a polytheist can experience the same thing and just look at it differently. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's important to note. Um, And that, you know, I think a lot of the times that that Plutarch jump that I was talking about happens when an atheist is familiar with Christian experiences and associates those experiences with the rules of Christianity. And then, you know, all the experiences that they might have had with deity wind up being put into this Christian context. And if that's if it's not the Christian context, then it can't be any context. Now they're an atheist. <laughs> There's there's a lot of um, dialogue I've had where a lot of my reflection on atheism in, in the West is it's primarily Protestant driven. It's primarily comes out of Protestant Christianity, and a lot of it is reactionary to that model. Absolutely, yeah. And a lot of and and to some degree, it's totally understandable given the abuses of the various churches, and likewise with Catholics, uh, ex-Catholic oh, atheists, ex-Muslim atheists. Yeah, they get very extreme. And one of the reasons why is look at what they're dealing with. Often, Mm -hmm. like uh, there's a an atheist activist named Zara Kay. Um, She's very available on Twitter. Um, And she is regularly she's an ex-Muslim and she's regularly dealing with death threats, regularly dealing with um, like, you know, people are calling her all kinds of names, uh, like a, a lot of interactions, like, like her ats or mentions are covered in sexist comments, um, that she, from Muslims, that she dares to speak as an ex-Muslim. Hmm. And like part of her, her whole thing as well is that she also refuses to get into extremist rhetoric against Muslims. And she's like, no, this is, this is not an all-Muslims thing. This is a certain Muslims thing. And there's plenty of Muslims around the world that are perfectly peaceful and fine people. And that's important to keep in, keep in mind. And she's saying this as, as an atheist activist, ex-Muslim. Uh, she and I have gotten along that, you know, she's like, oh, you're non-proselytizing? Fine. And I'm like, great. And, but, you know, the, that requires an incredibly cool head to mm-hmm. constantly get a stream of insults and yet still remain tolerant and firm. And that's, I have to give her incredible respect for being able to uh, receive that kind of like uh, online abuse as well as be like, well, you know, I'm, uh, I can still be a tolerant human being as a, and in the face of this. It's like, great. I've, yeah, you know, hats off to you. I, I, to me, it sounds like even even one more step beyond tolerant, because I mean, there's tolerance where okay, well, you're you're 
throwing crap at me, I don't need to retaliate. And then right. there's the taking the extra step. And I think that, that that really is an incredibly huge extra step where uh, atheists who haven't experienced that kind of thing have painted people with very broad brushes, whether it's Christians oh, yeah. or I've, pagans. So I have gotten, I've gotten several times, all religious people are irrational. Yes. And I'm like, well, you're just, <laughs> you're just not familiar with the history of philosophy, are you? So what is right. rational? What does that mean? Um, and because uh, I, I understand rationality to mean like logically consistent, coherent, uh, mm. you know, justified in your position, those kind of things. And uh, their definition of rational seems to be something along the line of whether or not it's in science or something. Yeah, and, it's a lot of goalpost moving. Yeah. Um, like they're redefining rational into something that it's never meant. <laughs> uh, so, you know, I've, uh, but no, I, like the, I want to, like the reason why I bring up Zarke is that I, I do want to champion atheists that, you know, have left, have had an incredibly difficult time leaving a faith, receive abuse and leaving a faith, and yet still manage to say, no, it's not all of this group. Mm. We can ha we can still have this conversation with subtlety. And the more people like that in the atheist movement, the better. And, uh, you know, there's there's been a couple of atheist creators that have started to acknowledge this. Cirrus the Skeptic is one. Uh, there's a new one um, named Jess Matty, who used to be referred to as the, the godless Iowan. Uh, Mr. Atheist is, is another one that's starting to do that. And these are, like, Mr. Atheist and GM Skeptic, they're both 100... Uh, more than 100k uh, subscriber YouTube personalities in the atheist community. And they're, oh, my cat is saying hello. Um, <laughs> hello. They're, they're starting to hold more of this position of not being like against all people that are religious. I in think, spite of saying that, you know, yeah. hey, we should, we should value rationality and skepticism and so on. I think the more that we can find that in humanity in general is a good thing. I mean, I, I, even though we can all be even the, not just atheists, but anybody, we can be very firm in our beliefs, but that doesn't mean that I have to use it as a weapon against everybody in the damn world around me. Right. And it, it applies to pagans too. Mm -hmm. Like we shouldn't be, you know, threatening people or whatever. Uh, it's not something that's super common in our religion, but it's something that comes up and uh, we should be dealing with it in the same way. Of like, yeah, okay, maybe, all right, you maybe got some Christian hate when you were first coming out of Christianity, but that doesn't mean that, like, what you're saying doesn't apply to, like, Episcopalians, mm -hmm. you know, like, if they're regularly pretty tolerant people. <laughs> uh, like, maybe it applies we, to Southern Baptists, but... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think there's a difference between critiquing a religion and critiquing the people of that religion. As a mm, whole, mm -hmm. a whole fur oh. baby. Um, <laughs> Got a cat crawling on me for those. Nobody can see that. So, <laughs> yeah, good radio, Sarah. Jeez, <laughs> right? Yeah. Right. There's a black cat crawling on an ocean. I cuddles. I have a black cat named Calcifer. He is he constantly wants attention. Oh, that's an awesome name. Uh, that's yeah. Awesome. It's named after the Miyazaki character in Howl's Moving Castle, a little fire demon. Um, <laughs> but he is. Uh, He's fun. There's a lot of pictures of him on my, on my Instagram. 
Oh, good. I'm I'm glad I'm not the only one. You know, my Instagram is my kids are constantly teasing me. They're like, is this about shamanism, paganism, cats? I'm like, uh, y- yes. Yes. Mine is mainly It is Ocean Keltoy. Oh, okay. Um, same, same thing as my Twitter. Uh, and you know, I, I don't post on it often, and when I do, it's this occasion. Like sometimes it's just something really stupid, but uh, <laughs> often it's a cat picture. Um, there's pictures of you know cat on my shoulder, cat mm. looking at a window. Um, <laughs> you know, this is my my Instagram is happening, man. It's. <laughs> <laughs> so I had a debate with Calcifer today. <laughs> yeah, right. Hey, no, there is there is a picture of Calcifer looking at the computer screen where I'm watching a debate and he's like, he's just looking back at me and my caption for it is, can we watch something else, dad? <laughs> like, <laughs> That's awesome. Real, real quick side question. I, I, I know we probably should wrap up fairly soon, but I, I do have a question. Does animism ever factor into any of your debates? It's brought up really rarely. I mean, okay. Uh, okay, so here's, here's the challenge of debating atheists is like usually i in a debate i don't have to go too far into specifics because atheists are more concerned with epistemology than anything else they're more concerned with like how you know that there's gods um and we we wind up spinning wheels in that conversation rather than getting into the specifics of like thor versus zeus or something that that rarely is a objection that they bring up um and so like an atheist going into something like animism, whereas like all the argument, like a lot of the arguments obviously are the same for animism as they are for polytheism. Uh, I would just defend it the same way. Um, but I've honestly, at least in a competitive sort of debate setting, animism has never been brought up. Not once. <laughs> Uh, I find that interesting because you'd mentioned earlier about a lot of the philosophers trying to to relate to the world and that certain worldlyism that that comes up. And I, I was wondering if animism might uh, be an interesting little side distraction or, or, or channel of thoughts because you know if you're talking about an experiential world and whether some things are internal or external then we really have to start debating things on whether we're just all the dream of trees sort of thing so yeah and that's a that could be a fun conversation but <laughs> uh that's certainly one that's like that's a philosophical conversation with about 20 wrenches in it from the outset uh but uh as like a debate setting you know, I've, first, I'm usually representing my own position. Right. Um, that is, you know, I'm fairly traditional heathen, when, as, as, especially when presenting myself in a debate. And the thing that is, in addition to that, really interesting as, as far as especially atheists and Christians, honestly, both of this, this problem for both of them. Mm-hmm. I have uh, not yet had a debate with a Christian or atheist that has really done their homework on my faith. Hmm. Um, I have one time in which uh, a Christian named Mike Winger had a little bit of a back and forth with me over chaos, uh, the the Greek primordial entity. Um, hmm. You know, there's questions about whether or not he's going to be considered a god, but uh, the that concept. Um, but that's about as close as it's gotten. Hmm. Um, you know. Uh, 
Yeah. <laughs> it's, so you're never it's, you're never quite getting to the trees. You're always like, okay, no, that's a forest over there. Right. They're they're they want to spend. Well, they, there's one tree they spend a lot of time on. That's epistemology. Right. Which honestly, from their perspective, from the atheist perspective, uh, getting into that is going to be better than getting into the details of heathenry because, good lord. You know, at first, if you're not familiar with it, we both know it's a daunting subject. Yeah. And uh, from the atheist perspective, if they can knock out the epistemology, the whole thing falls down, right? So, like, that's that's a a pillar of any belief mm-hmm. is how you accept it in the first place. Uh, so, and a lot of their arguments um, against, like, Christians will or atheists will go into details with Christians constantly. Uh, Christians will go into the epistemology conversation with pagans sometimes, but pagans, like, polytheist position is honestly just better at it <laughs> than the Christian mm-hmm. position is. And there's a lot of reasons for that, but I'm, there's, it, that would be like a whole nother thing, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm definitely okay with exploring that at some point down the road. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I would, like, honestly, comparative, the comparative discussion between polytheism and Christianity is something that is, uh, I love to talk about. So mm-hmm. <laughs> if you want to go there, we can go there. But uh, I, I gathered from a comment that I think we probably need to wind down soon. <laughs> I have time. <laughs> At some you know. point. Uh, you know. No, I'm not, in any, I'm not in any sort of rush. No, I'm not trying, okay. to, not trying to come across that way. It's just I, I always want to make sure that we've, we've covered the ground that we want to cover before we, before we run out of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll say the basic difference then just real quick. Um, that the I said earlier about Christians kind of appending all these other ideas onto their onto their deity. One thing that you can hit a Christian pretty hard with in a debate is what experience grants you the understanding that your God is omnipotent. Hmm. There isn't one. You cannot possibly have an experience that would reveal omnipotence. So the fact that Christians have spiritual experiences, okay, fine. The polytheists can accept that. The polytheists can even accept Yahweh. But we're going to hold that their God isn't everything that they describe it to be, especially not being solitary. So, you know, when when you get into, like, polytheists have the very experience-centric view of deity and how we come to understand it. Christians are not doing that. They're doing something else. And they need to come up with other arguments for um, omnipotence, and it's usually through something with the claw and so on, which polytheists have a whole bunch of other answers to. Uh, like, nothing in, the, in their creation argument says that there needs to be only one creator, really. Right. Uh, the, even Christians hold to these ideas of other entities, angels, demons, etc., so there's nothing stopping there from being multiple deities. In fact, in order for the religion to make sense, it sort of has to be that way. So, you know, they don't really have much of a real route to go against polytheism other than trying to relabel our experiences as something else, saying that, no, it's a demon. Okay, well, what makes you say that? That's just other like than your assuming opinion, your position. Yeah. <laughs> like you you are taking the step of saying my my experience is something other than what is experienced as at face value for no reason. Other than it coheres with your structure. Whereas we're doing a more direct path. 
Right. Um, and, you know, the same with, uh, this is what Stephen Dillon talks about when it comes to a comparison between atheism and polytheism, that the experience is something at face value. In order to say that it is something other than what is experienced at face value, we need to have a reason for that. And the atheist is going to say, well, it's in your head. Dylan's response to that is, well, any experience you have could, could be in your head, but we don't assume mm -hmm. that about all experiences. Like, you know, trees, for example. If you see a tree, that could be a hallucination, sure, but we don't assume that unless we have a good reason to assume that. Mm -hmm. With deity, what's the reason that we're assuming that? And that gets a, into a more interesting discussion. But there isn't something that's, like, given just the experience, the default position should be accepting the experience until you have a reason to relabel it as something else. So a lot of atheists will try to say, well, no, uh, atheism is a default position. No, polytheism is. And that's that can be a really fun way of handling a debate. <laughs> wow. Is saying in order for you to try and relabel it, you need to come up with, you have a burden of proof there. It's actually you, not me. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, when you're making a claim, you've got to be able to back that up. Right. I'm taking the experience as face value. And face value seems to imply deity. Okay. Now the it's the atheist turn. And, you know, I've I've had that conversation with atheists and they do have some good responses. And they get into, you know, uh like uh brain state experimentation, which, you know, if you have a pill that can elicit a spiritual experience, you know, what does that say about spiritual experiences? Well, it means you have a pill that can elicit this kind of imitation. Congratulations, of you have need. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> Correct, sir. Now, take that idea and apply it to, well, I have a pill that can uh, cause an illusion of a tree. Does that mean the trees aren't real? Exactly. Yeah. No. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I really enjoy that entire idea, you know, because um, the, the similar thing was coming up when I was doing my psych um, uh Oh, what was it? I think it was just uh, one of my psych courses. It wasn't abnormal psych. It was another one. Anywho, um, where they were inducing uh, states of euphoria and people who were religious were experiencing religious experiences. People who, uh, Buddhists who regularly meditate were experiencing deep peace and no mind, who were doing no mind. Uh, kind, of, kind of the idea of you walked in there with your preconceptions of what this state feels like and well congratulations we can reproduce that in the lab at least to some degree and i don't remember how they did it i think it was something to do with electromagnetism and waves on the brain directly interacting but i can't i can't recall um ironically um but the point that they were walking in there with was okay well your, your atheist is going to just feel this really relaxing euphoric state and your Christian is going to associate it with um, a connection with God, extreme prayer, that kind of thing. Because they were doing uh, MRIs of the brain as they were going into extreme devotional states or meditative states, that kind of thing. Right. And the, the brain patterns they were getting back were showing up very, very consistently similar, if not the same kinds of brain states. And they were like, okay, well, big question is, is, is this spiritual experience all in your head? Well, of course it is. Your brain has to interpret 
for you to, <laughs> yeah, to it's just because the experience. If you have a uh, hallucinatory experience, you know, like, and it's possible that, like, that one of the things that, that Dylan kind of goes on with this point is that there's an assumption in discussing experiences that the agent is otherwise mentally stable. And that if you're if you're prone to hallucinatory experiences already, then, you know, there's a whole different conversation to be had around spiritual experiences. That being said, if somebody is otherwise unencumbered, what this this is happening spontaneously. Uh, okay, well, you know, that's where that conversation is because it's obvious this is not something that's brought on in a lab and it comes down to interpretation with like, oh, well, this experience that I had in the lab is similar to the spiritual experience because we just managed to replicate it synthetically. If it's happening independent of a lab, independent of any drug or anything like that, well, you know, how, what, what is it then? Are we to take it as right. face value or are we to take it as something else? Um, and to the atheist, we take it as something else. To the Christian, they have their understanding of that. To the pagan, we have our understanding of that. But the same thing is happening. And the question is going to be, again, as I referenced earlier, is it internal? Is it external? Is it internal or not internal, necessarily? Because something, like, say, uh, you know, deity could be influencing within an internal. So, but is it is it you or is it not you? Um, it'd be the better dichotomy way of looking at it. Uh, yeah. Uh, th as, again, this uh, I want to plug Stephen Dillon's work again because that's a uh, a lot of like he discusses a lot of this stuff in a way that that is like laid out in a written in a way that a PhD in philosophy can write it out. <laughs> gotcha. Uh, and he does it in a book that's less than 100 pages. So it's not this wow. like daunting, monstrous text. And uh, he spent, it's like, honestly, the, the valuable parts of what I've been discussing can be found in the first three chapters. <laughs> gotcha. Well, excellent. Yeah. So I want to really thank you for coming on and sharing so much of your time and experiences with us. Um, it's about that time we got to start wrapping up. Uh, Absolutely. For this time. <laughs> yeah. Um, I really appreciate you spending so much time uh, and laying out how you feel about things and your experiences and um, going deep dives into the philosophical debates you've had. And I'm curious to see where your your uh, YouTube channel and your your various Twitter experiences take you forward. Uh, I'd love to have you back on. Definitely. And this has been really yeah. This has been really a fun fun back and forth. Um, yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'd be happy to come back on anytime and yeah, just reach out. Uh, yeah, I was, this is a wonderful experience and thank you guys for, for having me on. This has been great. Yeah. Thanks for coming on with us. And, uh, um, thank you everybody for listening to our show tonight. We, uh, we're really glad to be back with you. We'll be back shortly. We have Sarah and I have a couple of other interviews that we've already had recorded and we've got those set aside and we're going to do a little bit of a catch-up episode at some point in time because Sarath and I have a lot of ground to cover that we haven't had a chance to cover with the various interview episodes so we look forward to talking to you again thank you everybody for listening thank you Ocean for joining us and uh, thank you everybody we'll talk to you next time
there's no 